So today's heavy laden with lots of scripture. Um, and you'll see why I've done that, and I've done it on purpose. So this morning I want to speak about the anchored soul. The anchored soul, that's the title. But first, I have an analogy. So when you hold out your compass, you have magnetic north and you have true north. And both of them will give direction as to where you want to go. But the one is true, and the other one is based on the magnetic field of the earth. So I've been doing some research. Um, it's roughly when you stand, and you'll see this is very similar to what Andrew shared two weeks ago, but when you stand with a compass, um, you're actually about eight degrees off between magnetic north and true north when you stand in the spot looking between the two as it goes out. But when you get to your final destination, magnetic north and true north are about 500 kilometers away from each other. So there's a massive difference in your destination between the two, even though when you start out, it looks very similar. And I feel what the Lord is asking us to do is He's asking us to hold the line of north, of true north, to hold the line and to hold it firm. Because magnetic north is swaying with the times. It's swaying with the times and moving backwards and forwards, so much so that if you had to look where magnetic north is now, it actually moves and shifts constantly. And it's currently about 500, 500 kilometers west or so of where actual north is. So not only if you're going to be swaying with the times, moving with magnetic north, moving left or right, where you think you're going to land up is going to be different to where you thought it was going to be because it's moving as well. North doesn't do that. North is solid. North is true. North you can trust. So the Lord is asking us to hold the line of true north. So what does that mean? Let's look at Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves. The oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which God is impossible to lie, he who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus entered on our behalf as he's become the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What is the hope for the anchored soul? Because God wanted to make his unchanging nature, his purpose, very clear. Two things. He's unchangeable. He's steadfast. He's secure. He is what he is from now until eternity. Second is that he cannot lie. The anchored soul needs to put their hope in the unchangeable nature of God and the fact that he cannot lie and that what he says is true all the time. There's a hope that lies there. And I felt God asking us, what do we put our hope in? Because the anchored soul needs to put their hope in a surety. 
There's nothing else sure but God. His unchangeable nature and that he cannot lie. That's where our hope rests. There's a beautiful part in the second, uh, the later part of this verse where it says, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. What is the it? The it is the anchored soul. The it, the anchored soul, enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. We get to enter with our hope in God, with our forerunner Jesus, into the holy of holies, into the intimate place. An anchored, no, an anchored soul needs a couple of things um, to help it. So we figured out now that there's a hope that we need to hold on to, that's something that's unchangeable, that's going to help us keep this line of the true north. The next thing I feel like we need to look at is faith. So let's look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is a faith stirrer. So you, if I had to give homework, it would be to go go back and read the whole of Hebrews 11. But we're not going to read it today. I'm going to start first with verses 1 to 3. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, in insurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So this is what is seen, was not made out of what was visible. There's a beautiful thing here, his command. His command, it's his word, his unchangeable nature, the fact that he can speak into being life. If the anchored soul can't hold on to that and its hope is not there, how can we believe that creation was made by him? There's a foundation yet that the Lord's calling out of us where he wants us to believe in his unchanging nature and in the fact that he cannot lie. And that when he spoke into being life, we are that life. There's, an, there's a steadfastness that there that the Lord is asking to stir us up in our faith. Let's look at 13 to 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. So context, just a little bit before, um, there's a whole list of people who lived by faith. And it's, it's such a beautiful thing to read through because it's almost like their life summary is their faith, state, their, their faith statements. Short little sentences about the whole summary of their whole life. It was almost like the climax of what the Lord was doing, a promise that he gave them and was the outworkings of them. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country, of the country that they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. There's a direct aspect in the faith that we need to have, the eternal faith, the faith in eternity, that God has prepared this, this glorious home for us. But there's a calling here that God, and almost like a, um, I want to say a warning or something for us to hold in tang, in, in intangible and in an intangible aspect um, that he wants us to acknowledge that we are foreigners and we are strangers on this earth. In an instant, our mandate changes because we're no longer living for us in that statement. We are now living as strangers on this earth. 
for eternity. And I almost feel like God's asking us to hold that line. But there's almost like a catch. He wants us to have the faith for and in eternity, for the life that is to come. But He doesn't want it to be something that's in the very far distance. He wants it to be a part of the life that we're living now, and that's His prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not as it is in heaven one day in the future, as it is in heaven today, as we who are the anchored soul live for an unchangeable God who doesn't lie with a faith eternal for what is to come. Can you see the foundation is different? It's not just about being saved anymore. Saving gets the anchored soul into the place to rest, to form a firm foundation. There's a beautiful moment where the eternal faith gets intertwined and woven with our anchored soul of hope, and we find ourselves on a firm foundation. There's a beautiful moment where the eternal faith gets intertwined and woven with our anchored soul of hope, and we find ourselves on a firm foundation. Psalm 62, verses 1 to 2. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly He is my rock, my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. In this place, there's an aspect of our faith becomes an anchored rock on which God can build His church and trust. So how do we remain anchored? Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul. The anchored soul needs to know the Word of God. But when I say that, we need to hold two things in tension. We need to sit down and we need to read the Word. We need to know the Word. We need to know the verses. We need to know the God who's behind and, what, and the picture that he's trying to depict um, to show us of who he is, of his nature, of his character. But listen to that verse. Is alive and active. Is alive and active. When we go into the word, we must expect it to come alive. Amen. We must be expected to be active. Active in such a way that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, that it penetrates dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That must be our expectation of the spirit. There's a little bit of a warning here. Nothing here in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom He must give an account. If we're reading the Word of God and it's not doing for us, the double-edged sword, the dividing the soul and the spirit, cutting through the heart. 
we need to dig deeper. We need to dig deeper because there's a warning. Everything is going to be uncovered, and he's given us a key. Don't worry about everything that's going to be uncovered because I've given you a key to unlock it all, and it's my word. It's alive, and it's active. The anchored soul needs the word of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 5. For we know that if the earthly tent is to live, that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because we are clothed, we are not found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead in our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us, fashioned us for this very purpose as God. He has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing us for what is to come. I love this verse because we need the Spirit. There's a guarantee here that I'm going to speak about Nana. We need the Spirit. But there's a warning here. He's saying we in... We're in a temporary tent, one that's half broken and blown over by the wind. Um, We're in a temporary tent, one that doesn't look great. So don't hold and see value and weight in the tent that you're in. Instead, the anchored soul needs to find its value in the hope. What's the hope? The nature of God that's unchangeable and the fact that he cannot lie. So when that verse says, now, he who has fashioned us to this very purpose, what is the very purpose? To be the anchored soul. That's what he's requiring us to be, to be the anchored soul. And he understands that we long to be in heaven, the very distant future. He understands that we long to be clothed in our heavenly garments, pure and white as snow, where we stand before God who loves and is longing for his bride to come back. He knows that. So he's like, but wait, don't worry, my children. Who has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing us of what is to come. I love that because that means our intimate moments with the spirit, our moments where we can tangibly feel the spirit, where he moves and shifts. I'm not talking about spine tingling. I'm not talking. I'm talking about when he shifts and moves, when his word becomes active and the spirit moves and changes and shifts things. Those are the moments I'm talking about. Those are the deposits of what heaven is going to look like. The second part of our hope, the moments with the spirit that are tangible. What we, how we started this, this service was a glimpse of what eternity was going to look like. Reckless abandonment. Worshipping. Praising our God. There's a beautiful thing about um, worship. Worship has an aroma. It's aroma of heaven. When we started the service, there was an aroma. That aroma was of heaven. The second part of our hope. So what does it look like? What does this anchored soul look like? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 2, 15 to 16. For we are to God 
a pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death and to another an aroma that brings life. And who is equal of such task? When I read this, I was like, oh my word, Lord. (laughs) For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. Wow, am I worthy of being a pleasing aroma of Christ? Oh my word. Oh my word. Oh my word. This makes me want to make sure that my hope is in the right things, that I have a firm foundation, that I have an eternal faith, and that daily I'm putting on the heavenly clothes, not the earthly ones. And my desires are in line with, with what's in heaven, with his will. Because man, do I fall short of being a pleasing aroma of Christ. All of a sudden, when you take a step back, we have actually weaved together a beautiful mandate, a purpose. The anchored soul, firm and secure in the unchangeable things of God, his un- unchanging nature and abil- inability to lie, rooted in hope, living for eternity, realizing that we're not of this world, while having a quiet confidence, a faith, in what we hope for and an assurance about what we do not see, armed with the word of God, which is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and equipped by the Spirit, and a pleasing aroma to God. So what is the practical outworkings of the anchored soul? We're going to move to Titus. Don't put up yet. We're going to move to Titus now. But uh, in the NIV, they have, a, um, you know, they have the little titles of the verses of the different chapters as you go. Some of them I'm not quite sure about, but this one I quite enjoyed. NIV subtitle of this, cha- of this chapter was, For the Sake of the Gospel. For the Sake of the Gospel. For the Sake of the Gospel. In order for my life to be a pleasing aroma of Christ, I need to live a life for the sake. For the sake. The cause, the purpose, the reason, the objective of the gospel. It didn't say live my life according to the sake, the purpose, the cause, the reason, the main objective for Justin. So that he can go to school go to university, um, get a job, have a beautiful house, get a wife, get kids, work, get a pension, and then rest in the fruits with the grandchildren later. Our lives for the sake, the cause, the purpose, the reason, the main objective of the gospel, of the gospel. Titus 2, 11 to 15. For the grace of God has prepared us that offerings of salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and the worldly passions, to live a self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These are then the things that you should teach. 
the anchored soul receives the grace, the grace of God. In that grace, it's an ability to say no to the earthly things, to the things that cause us to want to go to magnetic north. Because here's the thing, we are all of magnetic north. We were born into a sinful world. Our nature is sinful. We're drawn to magnetic north. We are drawn there. For the grace of God has appeared that offers a salvation to all the people, that teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for, for us to redeem us from all wicked, to purify for himself a people a people who are eager to do what is good. By default, in our quiet times looking to Jesus every day, allowing the word to be alive and active, by default, we become a pleasing aroma of Christ. Not because of what I've done, not because of what any of you are doing, but by the grace of God but by the grace of God. Matthew 6, 30 to 34. If that is how God clothes the, gra the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not do much more to clothe you, you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of those things. And your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. The anchored soul doesn't need to worry about the things that the people in the magnetic north worry about. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? There's a lot of sub-worries there as well. I'm meant to be married. I'm meant to have a degree. I'm not meant to be in this job. I'm not meant to do this. I should have done that. They have more than me. For the pagans run after all of these things, and our Heavenly Father knows what we need. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added and given to you as well. Therefore, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. In your mind's eye, can you picture what's going on? We have this anchored soul that's rooted in a hope that's in an unchangeable God who cannot lie. A faith that is living for eternity now. That anchored soul realizes 
that in this space, in this torn, tattered tent, that we're living for a dwelling that is to come. In that space, and you can almost see the picture, um, the anchored soul has security because of the grace God has given him and her to no longer live for the things that are of magnetic north. So I'm going to end with a verse. But before I get them, I feel like the Lord is asking us to examine our hearts. And he's asking us, where is your hope, my child? Where is your hope, my child? Where is your hope? Do you rest knowing that I'm an unchangeable God that cannot lie? That I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you all the days of your life. I will give you the grace and ability to say no. Because I need you to be the anchored soul. So that you can ready my bride. So that I can come back to a bride that's pure. Spotless. Almost living in her heavenly clothes already. Not living for eternity, but in eternity, in a broken tent. My child, do you trust me? That I'm an unchangeable God that doesn't lie. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, and so we should. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. How are we being renewed? By the Word of God. Because it's alive and active. For the light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix your eyes, my child. Fix your eyes, my child, on what is seen. Sorry. Fix your eyes, my child, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Fix your eyes, my child, on my hope that I'm unchanging and that I cannot lie. Let's pray.
word, Jesus. <laughs> we get the opportunity to be the un- the we get the opportunity to be the anchored soul, Jesus, because of what you did on the cross. <laughs> when you died for our sins and took us away from magnetic north and planted us on true north. So Jesus, help us this morning by identifying the ways inside our heart that hinder us from being the anchored soul. Ignite in us a depth in our heart with your spirit where we almost won't be able to say that our hope isn't in eternity because this moment with you is so tangible and so real. Lord Jesus, I pray for our quiet times that the word will become alive, active, vibrant, exploding. Come, Lord Jesus, reveal the spaces that you need to deal with so that we can live an eternal faith and ready ourselves today as the spotless bride. Come, Lord Jesus, have your way.